and he pulled, he took out the gun and he lifted it up. And in my face, there's two marks. This side of my face, there's a mark here where the bullet went in. This side here of my face, there's a mark where the bullet came out. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Wide Awake Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Rubin. Today, I have a very special guest. He goes by the name of uh, <laughs> Denzel. <laughs> good start. Yeah, all good. <laughs> Denzel Moses. Um, he is an ex-gang member, and he is actually... Uh, he works with uh, a man called Jared Smith, who was on the podcast a few weeks ago, uh, and they uh, run the Second, Second Chance, Chance Foundation yep. together. Absolutely. We run the Second Chance. I'm more in the, on the grassroots level. I'm working with the communities and, and with ex-gang members and, and guys that's in the gangs or young men that's dabbling with it. So that's my, my level of expertise um, in the communities, yeah. Amazing, man. Yeah. And um, your story is very powerful and extremely heartbreaking mm. um I, I think let's start i always start from the beginning yep. just to show where you came from so i mean where did you grow up look i was born in a in a community called alsis river um clark estate and um i was born there in a, in a shack and I always ask my mommy, uh, mommy, why am I born in a shack and why aren't my other brothers and sisters born in a shack? But I always come to this conclusion. It doesn't matter where you're born or what community you come from. Um, uh, all of that doesn't determine who you will become as a person. So I was born in Alsis and we moved um, to Mitzel's Plain. That's where I actually started growing up in Mitzel's Plain. Um, and... Um, when we moved there, I was about five or so um, in Mitzel's Plain, you know. So we grew up there with a family of eight kids, four brothers and four sisters, quite a lot. I think there wasn't TV, so there was a lot of radio playing with love songs. That's why we saw a lot of kids. <laughs> um, but at any rate, so um, that's where I grew up as a young boy, and that's where everything started for me as a young boy. I can remember as a young boy growing up in, within the community, there was little playgrounds you will get the one seesaw in the park and one um swings or whatsoever um then you literally as a young boy had to fight to be on the seesaw or to bring to be on the swing otherwise if you didn't fight to be on there you would have just sat there one side and looking to the kids having fun so at small age already you started fighting to be part of something that you wanted um, in life whether for good or for bad um, I think um, everything started for me basically when, when my, my father was my role model and, and I looked up to him as a role model, you know. And as a young boy, my grandma, um, who lived in, in, in Garden Village, as, as young kids, we, we went to, to my grandma's house. And when we get to my grandma's house, they, obviously my grandma was a drug dealer. So when we got there, she would have this... The check overall, either blue or pink ones that she read. Um, and then people would come knock on the door and we would go to her and um, she would give us, we would take the money from the people by the door, we would take her to her and she would give us like, they will, they will call it a, a pull in the stop, which is Mandrax and Dacha. And we would give it back to, to the guys there at the door. And that's how I actually got exposed to, 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 to the drugs. Uh, first hand by my grandma and uh, my uncles were all drug dealers and, and gang leaders you know in the community there also and when they said things people listened 
I didn't want to be like that. I had a dream to become a social worker to help people, you know, to be an influencer in the community um, by helping others. Um, but the choices that I started making slowly but surely started taking me away from my dream and towards another direction in life. Um, where I grew up also, most of my cousins and so forth were involved in gangs and drugs and so forth. My two older brothers was also involved um, within my household that I was living in. And like I said, my father was my role model and I looked up to him and um, he at that time, he had a heart transplant, and um, his heart didn't work. He went for the heart transplant, he came back, and um, he got sick afterwards. A few months after that, he got sick, and his heart didn't work with his other organs, as, as his, his organs rejected the heart, and um, he got very sick. And I can remember that day, I didn't go to school. I was in grade three, I think, and um, my mom phoned the ambulance, and... Um, I can remember the ambulance came and they picked him up. And um, when they took him to hospital, he was about two weeks in hospital. And when he came home after the two weeks, he came home in a coffin. And for me as a young boy, I was very, I can't even say what I, how I felt. Because the person that I could look up to, the person that I could speak to in my house, um, was no longer there, you know. Um, he just disappeared and he came back um, dead um, in a coffin. And was your dad also involved in, in gang activity? or? Look, my, my, my dad was one of that. At that time, you know, if you looked at the gangs of that time, they, they didn't um, tell, tell people that they were gangs. They were called um, scullies or, or whatever, but they were dressed nicely in suits and whatever. His father was a was a, a, a bank robber. He went, uh, they call it a blow party. He had two blow parties. For, for robbing banks, so he, so he had two lives, so to say, for robbing banks and so forth. But my daddy's mom, she, she was somebody that didn't smoke, that didn't do anything wrong, drink or anything like that. So she implanted good models into my father. And I, I suppose he also tried to do that into his kids, you know. So I, I, I can't say that I know my father as a gang member. I can't say, I can't even say, I, I, I never saw my father even hit my mom or, or something like that. He was one of the guys that all of his friends would come and they would drink there at home, but he would go to sleep. He wouldn't be violent in the house and so forth, you know. So um, my mom was more the harder one because she grew up. Um, her mom was a drug dealer. Her brothers was in, in the gangs and, and, and drug dealers also. No, so she was the more harder one. And um, I think I just started rebelling when, when my father passed away. Um, started bunking school. Um, started acting out at home. Started looking for that father figure um, that I couldn't find in my home. I, I wanted it. So I started looking for it uh, within the community. And it was in the community that was the grown men that was there that, that I started looking up to. Um, that was the gang leaders and the drug dealers. So I didn't mind that I was 11, 12 years old when these men tell me to, to go and steal, to go and rob, to go and do certain stuff. I didn't mind to go and do it because it was these men that when I came back that gave me affirmation. They told me that, you're doing well. You're going to become somebody in life. Keep on doing what you're doing. And for me, I kept on doing what I was doing because it was like my father that was speaking to me because it was grown men. And so I just kept on doing the negative things, you know. Got expelled from school for selling drugs on school. 
um, gang activity on school. So I sold my dream of becoming a social worker because I thought that I was accepted within this community of gang members within my community. So I, I gave up on my dream to pursue a dream that was leading me to death, um, that was leading me to destruction, you know. But I didn't care because I felt that I belonged. I felt that I had a sense of belonging and, and I was amongst my, my family, so to say. Um, you mentioned that you have eight siblings. Yep. Four brothers and four sisters. Correct. Um, did you guys all live under the same roof? All lived under the same roof. Um, and the two older brothers, they were, they were part of different gangs. We, we, all of us, we weren't in one gang. So we were all in different gangs because all of us had that leadership potential within us and nobody wanted to submit under the other. And, and so we all joined different gangs and, and wanting to, to, to step in that positions where you got respected within the community, within your home, amongst one another. And before you did join a gang, what was your, how did you view gangs and gang leaders? Did you think that they were someone to look up to? Well, like I said, um, uh, when I went to my, 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 my grandma's house, I saw my uncles, they had, they had Cephalids, Valiants, and all of these cars, these big cars, and, 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 and they had like lots of money and people coming to them. So I, I, I envied the way they, they, they were living, you know, the people that they were associated with and so forth, you know. So it was a thing that attracted me. Even though I had a dream to become a social worker and help people, when I got exposed really to that world, it really attracted me. So slowly but surely I was starting to give up on my own dream to, to live this life that I thought was giving life to, to others because it was giving life to my uncles and we, I saw them having money and all of this power and status within the communities. You know, and that's what I wanted as a boy whilst fighting on the, for, to get on a swing. I knew that I had to have power so that people can respect me so I didn't have to fight because there was boys that just said, get off, that didn't have to fight. So I knew that they had already power, you know, and I wanted that also. So some small aids you wanted to be recognized, to be not, not to be the weak one. I want to go back a little bit. And um, you, you mentioned that all, all of your brothers joined different gangs. Yep. Um, can you tell me what happened? I, I know there was an incident between yeah. you and your brother. Would you yeah. mind running me through that, yeah, no, that no, whole story? Definitely, definitely. Um, well, like I said, I came, there, there came a time in my life where I was climbing the, the ladder within the gang structure. And my youngest brother was looking up to me as a role model. And he also wanted what his older brothers had. He also wanted to be respected, um, to be recognized, to have money in your pocket. And they told him, if you want what your older brothers have, if you want what your brother have, there's something that you need to do. You need to go and prove yourself that you will, you will be loyal to the structure that in this community that you want to join. And the one thing that, that you need to do is to go and kill your own brother. I mean, I know that gangs have initiations. Yeah. But, and I know they're pretty ruthless. But this just seems almost psychopathic. You know, this seems cruel. Why would they make your brother do that? Look, um, people wanted to take me out to reading. But the, the structure that I was in, 
and they couldn't come near me. Not that they couldn't come near me, they could have taken me out at any time, but I always somehow got away most of the time. So when, when, uh, and that was one of my rival gangs that I was fighting against. And they told him, look, if you want this, and they saw the opportunity for him to do the deed that they wanted to do a long time ago, you know, and I wouldn't expect him to do it. And really, I didn't expect him to do it. And I can remember the day when we were standing, when I was standing the day that it, that it actually happened. You know, I was standing on my mom's stoop. Um, a car pulled up in front of my mom's house. And um, he got out and there was three other guys with him. And um, I can remember that I walked up. When I walked to them, I had this warm feeling inside of me that something was going to happen, you know. But the person that I thought I was, I didn't care because that's just who I was, you know. And when I got by them, I could see that these guys were out to kill. And I, could, and I knew that day that today I'm going to die. I didn't know who was going to shoot me, but I knew one of them was going to shoot me. I was so heartbroken on the inside of me when I saw my own brother putting his hand on the gun and taking it out. On the inside, I was broken to see my own flesh and blood from the same mommy, the same daddy, standing in front of me ready to kill me. Um, I, I can't explain what I felt that day. But it was this brokenness and betrayal, you know, of... of of what was going to happen here in front of me. Because in the gang war, if you take out a knife for a person, it's like you already stabbed him. When you took out the gun, it's like you already shot him. So when he took out that gun, I knew that it was the end of my, of me. Um, my words to them was, you must kill me. I was prepared to give up my life that day because of who I thought I was. I was prepared to give up the potential, the gifts, and everything inside of me because of this life that I was living. My words to him was, same with my Mark, you must kill me. But on the inside, I kind of said, Lord, help me. But I couldn't say it with my lips because that was like giving power away. So I didn't say, Yere, um, help me. I said, Make me do it. And, 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 and he, pulled, he took out the gun and he lifted it up. And in my face, there's two marks. This side of my face, there's a mark here where the bullet went in. This side here of my face, there's a mark where the bullet came out. I can remember the shot went down. And I fell down to the ground. And they started running, shouting the numbers full, meaning that they, they fulfilled what I needed to do. You know, and I was on the floor, the blood running down my face. Um, all I can remember is my family's faces flashing in front of my face, those who passed away and those who were still living. Um, I was put into a car, kind of, uh, I felt that like everything happened so all over the show for me. And um, I was rushed to, to Grootske Hospital. And on my arrival at the hospital, I was clinically declared dead. There was no more heartbeat. Um, the doctors gave hope upon my life. My families gave hope upon my life. My friends gave hope upon my life. And in that time when everybody gave hope upon my life, um, God gave me a second chance, you know. Um, 
I, I, I was brought back. They resuscitated me. They injected me in, into my heart. And when I opened my eyes, I, I, I just heard the doctor saying, we got him back. We got him back. And that's where we are. I, I actually got the second chance from God to, to change my life. But my life didn't change because I woke up with so much unforgiveness, so much betrayal from my own family um, towards what my brother did. And I wanted to kill my brother. My friends came and they, they asked me, who can us mark? You know what we're going to do? My words to them is that you guys must do what you need to do, but leave my brother. I even told the cops that it was an accident because I didn't want it, wanted him to go to prison because I wanted to kill him myself. That's the hurt I had inside of me. And when you were lying there, did you ever try to think about what was going through your brother's mind that got him to the point to do what he did? Uh, that, that wasn't on my mind. My mind was just, uh, when I get to get to you, I'm going to kill you. Um, I, I didn't care about, because he already did the thing. You know, I didn't care what was going through his mind, where he was, because they went in and... and, and and, and that's where it ended. Um, my mind was just, when I woke up there, I'm going to kill you. Yeah, revenge. And I mean, it's incredible that you survived because it looks like it's gone almost straight through your temple. Yeah, I, I think what the, what the doctors the doctor said, that uh, it's a miracle and that God kind of orchestrated that, that bullet just to go the right ways because like, if it, I, I, if it went through my eyes, I would have died. It went to my brains, I, I could have died. But it was just orchestrated. The only thing that kind of got damaged is my sinus. I don't have any sinus. And a bit of my jaw, jawline was, was bowled up a bit. But otherwise, um, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm normal. And how long was it? Uh, how long were you in hospital for? Look, I wasn't too long. Um, I actually... Um, booked myself out of the hospital because I thought that they would want to come and finish the job um, within the hospital because that's what some of some of our guys did or some of the gang members within the gang structs they do. They come in, if they're still alive, they come and finish you off in hospital. So I kind of booked myself out of the hospital um, and started planning um, his murder. And what was it like for your family when you got home? Because I can imagine that everyone was on edge. Yeah, no, no, they knew. They knew that, that, that there's, there's big business happening now. You know, at that time also, um, there was so much gang rival now happening within our house. We, we, the other gang members came to shot at the house because of the gangs that he was in, um, came to shot at, shoot at, at, at our house. And it was my mommy and my sisters that was at home when the gang members came to shoot on our house. They had to fall down to the ground. They had to uh, fall down when the bullets ran through the windows and through the door. They, 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 they had to pay for the consequences of our choices. And there was many of my three sisters. They had to, uh, there was a time where the police had to come and pick them up to take them to school um, so that they can write exams. And were your sisters involved in any of this kind of activity? Not, not at all. They were more like... Um, when we were in the gangs, they were more like, keep the drugs, keep the gun, or could put that there, or whatsoever, but not really kind of involved, involved. We didn't, we didn't, I didn't want my sisters to, to grow up 
um, in the gang structure because I know what what the gangs can do and what the, the they were involved by default. Yeah, I mean, even though you say that they were part of it in a in a way. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine how terrified they must have been yeah. being in a family where there's drugs being sold yeah. and um, I mean. Like gang warfare, basically, it seems like you are like the epicenter of, of everything, yeah, yeah. especially all four of your brothers being in different gangs. Definitely. I mean, we were always the first house that the gangs came to because, like, we were live, living, the enemy was living, like, uh, right around us. So we were the first central house that they would come to to, to come and look or to come and shoot. Um, I can remember one day when my mommy phoned and they said, my mommy told us that the whole road is full of gang members. I'm talking literally the whole road with people standing, within buckies, within taxis, coming to look for us. And there came a time where they had to move out of the house. My mom had to move out of her own house. My sisters had to move out of their house, live at friends, because it was too chaotic um, at our house, you know. They finished their matric, all my sisters. They finished their matric. They knew what they wanted in life, you know, so they already tuned their mind towards what they wanted, even though sometimes we kind of roped them in or pulled them in to do certain stuff for us. Um, they knew what they wanted, and, and they finished the matric. They, they didn't take um, young men that was involved in gangs and so forth, so they, they already knew what they wanted in life. You know? When you left hospital, right? Yeah. When was the first time that you saw your brother? Um, we kind of lived life apart, eh? We kind of lived life apart. We didn't. We, he made sure that, that that he never crossed my path. But there came a time, like I said, when I left the hospital, when I when I planned his murder, I actually planned how I'm going to feel when I shoot him, how I'm going to do it, and everything. And the day when I stood in front of him with a gun in my hand, I couldn't pull that trigger. The feeling that I thought I would have, I didn't have that feeling. I so much wanted that feeling because there was nobody around me. It was just me and him. All I had to do was to pull that trigger. But I couldn't bring myself to, to do it. Not that I had fear or anything or, or nothing like that, but I just couldn't bring myself to kill my own brother. Because when I stood in front of him, it took me back to the days when we were young. I got flashbacks of how we grew up. You know, what we did as young boys together. Because the two of us are st two years apart. So they, 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 in, in the community, they thought we were twins. Because we, we looked exactly alike. And um, I just couldn't bring myself to kill him. And, and I told him, if you don't live, leave this province. If I don't kill you today, other people is going to kill you. And we lived separate lives away from one another. But there came at a time when, um, when I had to change my way of living, when I was rejected by many people within my community, when I was rejected by, by my family, when I was rejected by, by those who loved me, um, because I thought that nobody cared for me anymore. I thought that, that, that my life was over that I messed up so many times and people gave me so many chances and I'd have burnt all the bridges that, that uh, there was no return for me. And so many of our young men out there are on that place. 
I mean, did you and your brother ever uh, rekindle and kind of start your relationship back up? We did, but that that was after I changed. I had to first change my ways. I had to first change of, of who I, I, I was within my past that we could make right. Because otherwise we wouldn't have made right. And where is your brother now? My firstborn is, is, is 14 years old on the 25th. And three months before she was born, I can remember my brother went to prison and I w- went to visit him in prison. And a week before he came out of prison, um, I said, I'm going to hook up with you. And it was exactly a week when he got to the prison, the Saturday. I came from shopping with my wife. Um, I went to sit on the, on the bed with my burger. My wife was, was due almost three months before, before the, uh, my firstborn came out. And I thought that today is Saturday, tomorrow is Sunday. I'm going to preach by a church in Grassy Park. And I said, I'm going to take my brother with me to church so that he can just have the feeling of church again. And with that thought, saying that I want to take him to church, the phone rang. And when the phone rang, it was one of my baby sisters phoning and said, they just shot your brother. And I was devastated because we reconciliated. We made peace with each other. We kind of, we did stuff together again. We forgave one another. But now with this thought that I'm going to take him to church, a phone call came and they said, they just killed your brother. I jumped out of, up, and I went to my wife. I said, they just killed my brother. I drove to Mitchell's Plain. On my way to Mitchell's Plain, I was prepared. I started planning. I was prepared to give up everything that I believed in for six years, that it was giving me life to go and revenge his death. I phoned my old friends and I said, when I get there, the firepower must be there and the manpower was there. When I got there, the firepower was there. The manpower was there. But as I approached that table where it was, it's like God speaking to me and God telling me, Denzel, if you want to do today what you want to do in your mind, today will be the last day you will die with your brother today. And I had to make a choice. And I said, guys, the thing that I did wanted to do, I can't do it. I washed my hands off. I washed, this bl- I washed this blood off my hands and I turned my back. It was very hard for me to turn my back. But if I did what I had to do that day, I wouldn't have seen my firstborn. I wouldn't have seen my wife. I would have died that day, you know. So it was hard, but I had to do it. Today, I see the purpose why I didn't have to do it. I always say a seed must die, fall, and die for something to germinate from the ground. Because of his death, the uncle that, had had to, that came to kill me, he stopped his drug dealings and he changed his way of living. My mom stopped her drug dealing and changed her way of living. So something good came from his death. He didn't die in vain. And, and that's what I always say. Chains came for him, but it came in an ugly way. Chains came for me, 
and I can still live. Change came for a young boy, a best friend of mine, 16 years old, did well in soccer. If he lived today, he would have been the best soccer player. Academically, he was well educated. He would have been a lawyer. So there were choices for him to live in his potential. But he chose to move with the wrong friends. He moved with us. And he started dabbling with the wrong things. And I can remember one, the one day we were standing on the corner selling drugs. And the drugs was few. And I went to go and get some more drugs. And when I went, five shots went off. When I got to him, all five shots was through his body. That young boy died in my arms, 16 years old, with the potential that he had of becoming the best soccer player or becoming a lawyer or a doctor or whatever he wanted, a dream that he had. He died with that potential and he took that potential to the grave. Selden, my brother, he died with that potential that he had within him and he took that potential to the grave. Today, I have the opportunity to live out my potential that was given to me into other people's lives. Telling them and awakening that potential that's within them not to go to the grave, but to live it out to the fullest of their abilities. When did you decide that this life wasn't for you anymore and that in order to become the person that you wanted to be as a kid, you had to make a change? I think turning point for myself, if I would touch on the turning point for myself, I, I became tired of being tired. I became tired of living this negative life. I became tired of wearing this mask that I was wearing, that I was kind of hiding behind this mask, trying to prove myself to other people, trying to, 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 to be somebody that I'm not. Because every time when I go home at night, I know that the things that I did for that day is not really what I, who I am. It's not really what I, what I was raised up with, the principles by my grandma, you know, my daddy's mommy. She, I was more near to her, you know, so she read us very, very well, laid down good principles. I came to that point where I didn't want to live this way anymore, but I was alone. Gave up upon my life. Had no more direction in life. All I had was the 16 shooter that I had with me. And I was standing on a field near to a, near to a four-way stop. And I heard a sound of music, but I didn't know where the music came from. For a minute, I was thinking that I was hallucinating. I was hearing music. But then the car stopped on the, on the stop street there on the stop and in this car was this young boy minding his own business music was playing in his car windows was all rolled down and i thought easy target i got into the car from the passenger side opened the door put the gun against his head and i asked him the question do you know who i am do you know that i can kill you in this car and think nothing of it because that's what my character became I didn't care about other people's lives because I thought nobody cared about me anymore. And, and this young boy, he answered me. He said, I don't care who you are. And immediately I started worrying. I started thinking, Ma, who are you? What, uh, you know, what, what kind of sweets did you, what kind of strong sweets did, sweets did you eat that are making you um, this, this, the way you are talking? You, the way he was talking, he was talking with authority. He knew who he was. 
And I started thinking for, I fell back and I started thinking, who is this guy? You know, with what gang is he connected to? What family is he connected to? Well, that's what in the gangs for him to be this way that he's in. And I wanted to find out who this boy was. And I asked him, who are you? And he answered me, he said, I'm a child of God. And he didn't stop there, he started talking. Knowing that there was a gun against his head. Knowing that he could die right there. He, he said, he told me that God loves you. That God has a plan and a purpose with your life. He want to remove this mask that you are wearing. He even started talking about stuff that he wasn't supposed to know. And I thought to myself, how long was this boy spying on my life to know these things, you know? And then I, I, just, I just came to a point where I surrendered. Even though I had the power in my hand, I surrendered because I didn't want this life anymore for me. I was, I was kind of screaming out for help, but there was nobody to take me. It's almost like you're in, in, in this ocean and the lifesavers is there, but nobody dares to come, in, come, come and rescue you. So, so I wanted to be changed. I, I, I wanted a better life. I wanted change. I wanted to live my life. I wanted to live my dream, but there was nobody to pull me out. And here this boy stopped and, and he said that God has a plan with your life. God wants to remove this moss. And I asked him, this God that you are talking about, what can this God do to me? Because I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't want to prove myself to others anymore. I want to start living my own life. What must I do? And I found myself, this boy told me, pray with me. And, and I prayed with him. He said, say what I'm saying. And I found myself saying, repeating what he was asking me to pray. And, and I said, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, come and live in my heart. Make me your child. I don't want to live this way anymore. And when I, that day when I thought I hijacked that car, God hijacked my life. And I, and I gave my life over to him. And um, I got out of the car. And this boy, he drove on. And my mom was the first person that I saw. And I told him, mom, ma. We called him ma. <laughs> I found something. And normally when I find something, it's normally a lot of money or stolen stuff or whatever. My mom asked me, what did you steal now again? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I told my mom, I, I stole nothing, ma. I actually accepted God into my life and, 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 and I'm, I'm happy about it. And that day, three things happened. The first thing that happened is my mom took her arms and wrapped it around me and she held me. And I don't know that. That's strange to me for my mom to do that. The second thing and happened, I saw tears running from my mom's eyes. And she was a very odd woman. I can remember when you did stuff. One, one time, uh, uh, two incidents. One time, I, I did something. And as a young boy, she took me to the room. And the iron was already plugged into the, in the socket. Or it was there in the socket. And she closed the door. And she just took out the, the warm iron. And she rolled the cord around her, her hands. And she hit me with a warm iron. And wherever the home iron fell, that's where I burned. Another incident is, she was also a drug dealer. So she left 
me in charge. She went away for the weekend. And I decided I'm going to smoke all the drugs up. I'm going to use all the money up and then just make a plan, cup uh, little holes in the walls and say that the cop chased me and I got shot on. But And then I told her the story, but you can't lie to your mommy. Your mommy looks right through you, you know. And um, I had to deal with the consequences. She phoned a, a brother, which was a gang leader, and she told him, I give you the right to come and kill my, my, my child. And I can remember the day when it happened. When they came, him and another gang leader came to my, to my house and they came to kill me. But that day, oh, I, I, that day, it came to me, they had guns and I had guns. And it was to, I'm, pre I'm prepared to give up my life. Are you prepared to give up your life? And that's where it ended. And we came to a conclusion that we're going to work it out and I'm going to work the money back um, for, for the You're money that I right. used. Yeah, I'm going to make it right. You know, I make amends through working for her. You know, so she was a hard woman, you know. But that day I saw tears running from her face and I saw a different side of her. And the one thing that really kicked my wind out of my stomach was just the words that she told me. Denzel, I love you. That kicked my wind out. The words, I love you, kicked my wind out. I was a big boy, but it kicked my wind out. I was in my late 20s when she told me that. And that really kicked my wind out. Was that the first time she the had ever said time that? The first time I hear my mom telling me that she loves me because we never grew up with words that I love you, you, you you're going to become, keep on what you're doing, or, or, or kiss in the morning or whatsoever. There wasn't that. We, we grew up in an era where this is what life is, this is what you do, this is where you do it, and this is how you do it. And that was, that was life. So that's what my mom told me that day. And I knew that I had to go and tell my friends about this change. And I knew that I was going to die, or I could die that day. When I'm going to tell them that I'm, I, I, I'm a born again Christian, I, gave, I committed my life to God. But I knew that I had to do it. Because in my heart, I knew that this was my way out. That this was my help that I was looking for. This was the void that was always inside of me that I was looking for. And I'm not going to give this up for anything in life. So I was prepared to die as I was prepared to die way back when I was young, as a young boy in the gangs. I found something inside of me that I didn't want to give up. I, I found life inside of me that I never felt before. And I held on to that life with both of my hands. And I was prepared to give up everything that I had for that life. And that's how I got stripped from everything. And that day I went to them and I told them and I took my Bible with him, with me. I'm going to tell them. I told them, guys, I, I, I'm out of the gangs. I've, I found God in, in my life and, and I'm not turning my back anymore on him or I'm not going to turn my back on God because I found something in him. And they said, they told me, we're only giving you three weeks for this Christianity talk that you're talking, then you're going to be back doing what you do good. Then you're going to be back doing the negative. And today, I can say it's 25 years later, 
I haven't turned my back. I haven't gone back because I knew what I found I will never find again in my life. You know, it's like a treasure that you find that never runs, runs dry. It's like a treasure that you find that, that always brings refreshing waters to your life every day. And I will not ever give that up for my life, you know, because if I turn my back today, I know that I'm going to die. If I choose to go back to the world that I came from, I am going to die. And I'm not willing to give up my life for something that's not going to give me life. So I chose life. And that's why life was given to me. Because I chose, when I chose life, I chose it. And, and, and God could see in my heart that it was true. You know, that's why he gave me that wife. That's why he gave me that three daughters. Faith is what I needed. That's my, that was my firstborn. Hope was my secondborn. That, wa- that is what I needed in that time. And grace is my lastborn. And that was what I needed at that time. So faith, hope, and grace was given to me. My wife was given to me. Roxanne was given to me. And that's why I am standing in the gap for many others because I was given a second chance. And I will never turn my back on anybody that's within the gang structure if they reach out for that help. Because I reached out and there was somebody that stood in the gap for me. And what has it been like since you started working with Jared at the Second Chance Foundation? What, what work do you do with him? Look, um, like I say, I, 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 I kind of do the, the, the community work where I work with different communities. And um, if I look to Mitchell's Plain and Over Park, Alsis River, and many other Delft communities that I work in, we work with, with guys that are literally in the gangs. We work with young people that are dabbling in the gangs. And we sit down with them and we tell them that we're not better than you. We came from that life that you are living. And there's a better way. But you need to make a choice whether you want that better way or that better life. And we kind of, um, you see, within our communities, the council don't come to clean our communities anymore. So what we do, we say, um, you take ownership of your community. You start cleaning your community. You start making gardens within your community. You start being the role model within your community. And um, even the gang leaders within the, within the community, they're part of this community projects. Because I can make a garden, but I go home. Or I can make a garden and I live around the corner, but the gang leader or, 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 or the drug dealer lives in the road where the garden is. Whose responsibility is to look after it? That people that lives around it. So they must take ownership, you know, to look after, to clean their roads, to sweep the roads, you know, because it starts by them, not only by me. I only came to put the initiative there. To facilitate it. To facilitate it, yeah. And um, I can remember one day we made the garden. There was a drug dealer living in the, in the road there. And there was a few plants that miraculously jumped out of the, the <laughs> ground and ran to some houses there. So there was holes. And they called me, the, the young boys that are working with, they called me, they said, Uncle Denzel, Uncle Denzel, there's holes there, the, the, the flowers is out. And I said, okay, there's nothing we can do. We're not going to give up. We, we, we're going to keep on doing what we do. But Uncle Denzel, aren't you going to do anything? We, uh, oh. I said, it's not my responsibility alone. So I went around to the drug dealer and I said, look here, you live in the road. We've got good relationship. As boys, we grew up together. And um, 
we know, I know who you are, you know who I am, but that's in the past, you know who I was in the past, but you know who I am right now, and this is what I do every day. So, I mean, this is your community. You must take care of it. Let's take care of it. And I'm telling you, I went around, and it wasn't long after the boys came back. They said, Uncle Denzel, you won't believe it, that trees, that plants ran back and they jumped into the (laughs) hole, and they closed again. So the plants came back. And that drug dealer took ownership. He went and told his men, look who who took the, the, the plants up, and tell them to bring it back, and they brought it back. I didn't even have to go and plant it again or throw it close. They did it themselves. And that's what it's all about. That's how we're going to change. I can remember when I was younger, much younger, when I did something wrong, the auntie around the corner or the uncle around the corner would give me a hiding. And then when I ran home to tell my mom and my daddy, I would get another hiding. But nowadays we can't do that. But somehow we also, we need to still stand in the gap. We need to still take the responsibility. You know, even that was not your responsibility to, to look out for that child or whatsoever because you've got your own problems at home, you've got your own kids. But if you start standing in the gap for others, then God will take care of your kids. And God will put um, other people in place to look after them, you know. Not that you, but, but it's all about that. It's all about <laughs> that. That's how you build a community. You know, it's so incredible how a small action can have such a big ripple effect. Like the day that that kid stood up to you in the car. Yep. It changed you. Absolutely. And from that action, from you changing, you changed the people around you as well. It's a ripple effect, yes. And sometimes these effects are hard to see, Mm -hmm. but I do believe when one person makes a change, Yeah automatically the people around him will be affected. There's an energy. The energy is put out into the world. (laughs) Absolutely, 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 Josh, you're right there. And I just want to say, I wish you all the best, man, with your beautiful family. Thanks, Josh, man. The amazing work you're doing with the Second Chance Foundation. Keep being a leader. Keep changing people's lives like you are doing. Definitely. And uh, just look out for yourself, you know? Absolutely. Thanks, Josh. Thank you for for having me as as, as a guest today. It was an honor for me to, to spend time with you. And yeah, keep on doing what you're doing, you know, um, putting other people on the platform and, and allowing them also to bring out their voice and, and, and to tell people that there is a better way out. Thanks, I'll Josh, man. I'll keep trying my best. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Wide Awake Podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And um, I will see you next week. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Awesome, man. Thank you Thanks, so much, Josh, man. man.